I want to introduce Grant to you guys. You guys may have already known him. He's been around with 10 days for a long time, longer than I've been with 10 days. So it's actually my great pleasure to introduce Grant Barry to you all. He got this amazing download from God that ties right into the John 17 love and unity. And he's been pressing into this vision of the one new man, of the Jew, the Gentile coming together the way that it was originally intended. And then unfortunately, the way that we have stepped away from our grants here at the, the tip of the spear, pushing us back into this. So without further ado, Grant, I'm going to turn it over to you. And if you would just give us uh, about three minutes at the middle to do a couple of announcements, and then we'll roll into Kevin Jessup. Thank you, Kirksta. You know, uh, I think you basically stole my thunder. I think I'm finished, brother. Did a great job. <laughs> oh, there's much more than than just that. Trust me. I, I know. <laughs> Well, the peace of Shabbat to everyone on this call tonight, a special Shabbat uh, during the 10 days of uh, leading up to Shavuot and Pentecost. Beloved, uh, I, I'm, I'm a, we're just so excited with uh, what God is doing right now. It is so uh, beyond, uh, beyond us. I mean, the, the, just the the thought uh, and the reality and these numbers you know the these numbers are not exaggerated we are looking at at a sovereign moment in history and i want to uh, you know 110 million believers praying for the salvation of israel for 24 hours on pentecost sunday who could of imagine that 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, something is happening, beloved, that is significant to everything that we're doing. And, you know, the first thing I just want to say is we have been carrying this burden in 10 days since 2016. Um, I connected uh, originally with 10 Days in 2014 through uh, Greg, brother Greg Healy uh, in the Connecticut area. And I thought to myself, what's going on here? You know, the church is wanting to pray around uh, the 10 days of all, pray around the 10 days up to Shavuot and Pentecost. This is like kind of like a natural way for the church to come back to its Jewish roots and heritage without it even really thinking much about it, because the focus is so much on the sense of what God is bringing us into, this deeper place of prayer and repentance. And um, I just, you know, I just want to say for a moment, I, I just feel I've I've felt the 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 pleasure in the Lord's heart this week for specifically for his watchmen and the leaders that are carrying this burden for greater restoration in the family, for the fullness of John 17, love and unity. And I, I just want to, as I start tonight, I just want, I want to release a blessing on each one of us that has stood in the gap and interceded, that has began, you know, as God has opened our eyes and we began to get the vision for this restoration, for the Israel peace and its significance, and begin to to pray for the for the church. Um, this is an, a huge assignment for us, beloved, uh, more than we actually know, because I can tell you, as one that has carried this message for so many years of my life, you can imagine the obstacles, the rejection, the hindrances, the disappointments that have been around it. Um, and yet, so many times I'm in church, I'm worshiping, and the Lord comes to me in the Holy Spirit, and he whispers, I love my church. Grant, love my church. Even, <laughs> even on the sea in Galilee, um, 
that's the message the Lord spoke to me as I'm, I'm, I'm sailing on the Galilee in Israel. Love my church. And so there's a, there's a place and a strategy here um, that I think we, we need to begin to recognize more and more as we move deeper into this, that the Lord is unveiling his heart to us, his intercessors, but that we now have an assignment to pray and intercede for the rest of the church. The Lord wants none to be lost. And there's a, a significant place now to stand in the gap for the family of God. And I, I just, you know, we have been on this great journey since 2016, pressing into this message. The Lord's been unveiling us and taking us deeper giving us deeper sense of revelation, of understanding. And then uh, in 2000, uh, uh, I started to write the Romans 911 book. And then in 2019 and 20, I wrote the study guides. In 2018, with uh, Jonathan Frizz up at, up at um, Moody's campus, the Lord gave us the the reconnection mandate document. These are five, the five directors and beloved this is a significant prophetic document for the church for these days. Why? Because it gives us a position. It gives us the directives from the heart of the Father of for the church to be able to move into this message. One, to understand it first. Two, to come into a reunification, a love for one another a remarriage of sorts in the one you man, in the heart of the Father. Three, to come into a true and informed repentance. And I want to talk to us a little bit about that tonight, because when we look, if you've studied church revival, and when you look at church revival, there, 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 there's a pattern. And the pattern is that at some point, a body of believers came into a deeper place of prayer and repentance, and suddenly the Holy Spirit moved. And you could basically take that model, if you like, during the church age with the shifts and the, and the restoration of the church and the moves of, of God to bring holiness, to bring the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to bring about the fivefold. You could see a witness of God's presence but also associated to a place of repentance. And so there's a pattern and a mindset in, in, uh, in the church that if we just pray, if we just pray, confess and repent, God's going to pour out his power. And beloved, I have to tell you with all of the prayer that is filling up the bowls uh, since COVID, uh, since that great uh, uh, meeting we had, that convergence in Washington D.C., uh, the return in 2020 on the on the uh, you know the steps of Washington D.C., there has been you know we are we have been filling up the bowls, beloved, and of course there's there's going to be responses as as a result of that. But I want to talk to you because about this repentance, because this awakening and the fullness of it will not come to us the way that it did fully in the church age. And why is that? And that is because we're coming into Israel's awakening. And, you know, the way I communicate this to the body is, look, from a, is really from the father's perspective. The father has been equitable to his family regarding the time that he has spent with both parts. 2,000 years from Abraham to Yeshua, he focused primarily on the firstborn children and, and bringing the covenants and giving the covenants, including the new covenant. And 2,000 years from Jesus to the modern day, uh, focused on his children from the nations. Now, beloved, we, we and, and Ariel touched, touched on this a little bit yesterday as he was talking about the fullness. 
as we move in uh, Romans 11, 25. And what is, how does Paul kick this off? He says, do not be ignorant to this mystery. Israel has received a hardening in part until the full number, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, come in comma, and in this way Israel will be saved. Now, we've looked at that like from a church perspective or almost from a Gentile perspective, that if we take the gospel to the nations, then God's just going to deal with Israel. Um, but, beloved, the principle of the gospel is not to the nations and then to the Jew. The principle of the kingdom of God for the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And that ever changed. Yeshua moved in that. He came first to the firstborn children so that the covenants could be given and then they could take Yeshua out, the message of Yeshua out, so that God's children from the nations could believe in him and also become one with Israel and receive her covenants. And that's the one new man that had the glory of God upon it that changed the world. Beloved, take a pen and underline the word glory or glorify in John 17. You'll see it nine times. This is Yeshua's Jesus' last prayer in, uh, uh, before he goes to the garden, before he goes, uh, before he's arrested. And you can make a very good argument, especially in this day with what's happening with Israel. Verses 6 to 19, who's he praying for? He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for the 120. He's praying for the thousands of Jews that established the church. And in verse 20, he says, now I'm going to pray for those who will believe in me through your message. They take Yeshua out and, be, and, and begin to bring the message to God's children from the nations. They come, they willingly receive the message, but they become one with this group of Jews that lovingly received them, that lovingly laid down their lives, that Yeshua could be given to the nations. And I want to tell you, beloved, there is a circle of love here that we need to get a greater picture of, especially for this day, because in a sense, they laid down their lives for us. I mean, look at some of the deaths that the, uh, that the apostles suffered, even some of them hanging upside down on a cross. Now, in order to, for the fullness to come of both, see, that's what I think this is about. It's about the fullness of the Gentiles, the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of God's love coming to both groups. And so there's a shift that must take place now that is different from the church age. And that's not to say that in this shift, God wants Gentiles to be Jews or Jews to be Gentiles. He, there's this beautiful expression of love and liberty in the olive tree where hangs the different ornaments of the way that both Jewish and Gentiles express their love through, through their different feasts and celebrations. And, and we need to have honor and respect for one another. Beloved, this restoration is not about feasts and biblical calendars. These are good. And I, I'll be the first to tell you that, the, the, that we got robbed of the, 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 the feast of the Lord and the beautiful connection that, that Jesus has to every one of them. But most people are connecting to this thing in, 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 in more of a, uh, a, a feast and, and historical way and still missing the very heart of this restoration. So, beloved, where, where are we right now? Where are we right now? We are in a sovereign, we're in the midst of a, a sovereign shift 
because the father, and, and we've got to start looking at this from the father's perspective. When has he ever had, except for maybe a few years in the century, first century, when has he ever had the fullness of his family together, Jew and Gentile dwelling together in love and unity? And here we are, here we are all of a sudden. Bob Jones prophesies a word to Mike Bickle 40 years ago on May 7th that the Lord will raise up 100 million intercessors to pray for Israel. And beloved, I'm going to add something to that uh, because I, I, I got a direction from the Lord to do so after the feast last year. He actually told me now that when we pray for Israel, we must also pray for the church because the church is the salvific agent to bring about Israel's salvation. There's a partnership here. And it's that circle of love now that the father comes to his children from his nation to, from the nations and says, will you partner with me that my firstborn can be restored? Will you partner with me that my covenants and promises to them will be restored so that I can complete you? And of course, Believing Jew and believing Gentile are absolutely foundational to this. Beloved, how can a house be rebuilt unless it is built on the right foundation? And we need to start recognizing that there is a, a deeper place the Father is calling us into now regarding the family of God, and that there is this restoration in the family of God that is the power source, if you like. It's the power source. Now, don't get me wrong. The Father and Yeshua are our power source. Our first alignment obviously must be to them, okay? But we know there's so much separation in the family of God. How, in a sense, when you look at John 17 from a place of love and unity and the glory being sent, how on earth can the Father release the fullness of glory until the walls of his body are rebuilt in love and unity? And foundational to this is the restoration in the one you man. The reconnection is not the end goal for the restoration in the one you man. John 17, love and unity, the return of the Lord, the fullness of the gospel, Israel's salvation. These are the fruit of the things that the Lord is leading us into. But there is a correct type of repentance. And beloved, a couple of years ago, I went uh, to learn to ride. I took a motorcycle course. I went to learn how to ride a motorbike. And in the course, the, the instructor said, uh, practice makes perfect, right? Wrong. Well, think about that. Practice makes perfect, right? Wrong. He said, the correct type of practice makes perfect. Beloved, I believe what's going on here, this, this shift, this prayer for the salvation of Israel, which is, is just incredible. I mean, it is incredible thing that, that, that the, uh, the prayer movement and, and Jason and uh, IPC and the, and the other prayer ministries have come together and connected with the missions movement. I mean, it, it's, it's so way beyond us, but it's incredible the way that, that, that we're cooperating uh, with one another. Um, but I want to submit, I want to submit something to you that, that may, maybe that, that's going to get you thinking tonight. This move right now is more for his body than it is for Israel. And there's a reason for that. 
because this restoration requires a reuniting in love and unity. It requires a remarriage. So there's a deepening to the need for us to move deeper into this restorative part of John 17 that brings about a correction and modifications in the way that we move. You know, in the first century, think about it. Israel, the, the believing church, had a, those from the nations had a natural spiritual Hebraic DNA that was inherited from the Jewish side of the family. Now, they weren't required to, to follow the same traditions. We know that from Acts 15. But there was something significant in the spirit. I believe that the Lord is looking to restore in each of our hearts and minds that we would be, in a sense, be willing to lay down our lives for Israel to be saved. And as we come into this marriage, or remarriage, I should say, this reunification, it leads us into what my brother uh, Wesley Tullis calls as informed repentance. And so there's a process now, there's a pathway of restoration that we must begin to move into to come in, to, to, in a sense, to expose the obstacles and the issues in each of us that are still causing the fullness of love and unity from coming to us between Jew and Gentile and beginning to break off all of the, the, the obstacles that may come against us to hold us back from the fullness of this place. Beloved, the one you man is foundational, and we can't skip over it. If we do, we will delay and hold back the Father's plans. Remember when David moved the ark back to Jerusalem, when he tried to do it his own way, he suffered loss. He had to go back and follow a procedure. And the Lord has this place now. It's a deepening. It's, a, it's the restorative part in us. And 1,700 years of replacement theology influences are not going to go away from our mindsets overnight. There's a renewing that has to take place. That's why in the Reconnection Mandate, when we pass the first three directives, which are understanding, reuniting, and, and moving into the right repentance and exposing and breaking off all the influences, our hearts become ready and we begin to enter a time of renewal. And I would say, beloved, that the most significant thing that needs to take place, because where the Lord is now taking us and where I think our prayer assignment belongs right now is for is for us in the church, these hundred million intercessors, to understand that this is a beginning of a journey, that once we get on this pathway, it uh, is just the beginning. And one of the weaknesses that we have is as we come into the Israel piece and we, and we journey a little bit, we think that we've got it. And then we, you know, there are so many distractions, but the Lord is calling us into a deeper place of renewal so that so that he can bring us into the fullness of his glory so there there's a there's a plan here and of course most of this is is laid out to us in the Romans 911 product project video teachings and i want to submit to you think about it for a moment we're all of us on this call when we were first believers didn't we have to go into foundational classes didn't we have to take time to learn about studying and praying and, and the basics of the faith? Think about alpha, the Alpha course if you want. Well, here we are beginning to go into, a, into the depths of the Father's heart to fulfill his call for John 17, love and unity. And it's not a quick fix. 
You can't just go down to an altar and break off negative influences from the past of replacement theology or anti-Semitism and go back to church as usual. It's a life changer. It changes our perspective because Israel's salvation is now center stage in the Father's heart. And if just by recognizing this incredible shift to mobilize 100 million intercessors should be a witness to us that there's something greater here that we need to catch a, a, a vision of. We're moving into the next stage now where the church needs to recognize that the restorative piece of, of the final awakening is the epicenter. Uh, it's where the, the, the Father will release the fullness of his glory through, through us aligning with him and with one another in a deeper way and coming into the fullness of John 17, not just with Jew and Gentile, but then taking uh taking back division from the enemy and being able to pray with greater authority to heal divides of race racial divides theological divides and i'm not saying we're going to agree 100 percent but uh there is a place of of the this this baptism of love that the father is looking to bestow on us the more we capture the significance of this unification back with Israel, not just individually, but also corporately. And this is what's so special with what's happening on the Southern Steps, because this, this uh, movement is being heralded, is being, it's led by Jason, who, who we've been working closely with, you know, since 2016 in 10 days, and he has uh, carrying the message of reconnection and alignment in his heart. He's read all the books. He's studied all the stuff. He understands and he's coming to the leadership in the land with a place of servitude and honor and respect that I don't think we've ever seen before because he's recognizing the need for us not just to, to love one another from a relational point of view, but corporately for the for the for the Jewish uh, uh, body and and Gentile body to come back together, there's a great significance corporately in this. And of course, the Romans nine one one project, you know, brings that, um, you know, brings uh, lays all of that out for us to enter into. And so, I just want to encourage you, you know, that that um, it's time to go deeper. And the, the Father is beckoning us into this restoration, but it's going to require the thing about directive number four, beloved, if you look at it, you can see it on the, the website, reconnecting, you can download it uh, for free on the website. It's about commitment and dedication and discipline. And there's a need especially for the leadership. And I think this is something that we're going to begin to see the leadership and the prayer leadership beginning to recognize that we must now go deeper into this restoration, uh, not overlooking these pieces, but, but fully embracing them and allowing the Father to rebuild the foundation so that he can rebuild the house properly that will enable him to release the fullness of glory upon us. At this point, I've I've gone over a couple of minutes. So at this point, I I just I want to hand it over to my brother Kevin. I know Kevin, you know, um, you're almost finished uh, going through these teachings yourself. We've been going through them together with with Hallie and Donna and a number of your other leaders um, uh, over the last year. You know, just. Uh, you know, as you come into your message tonight, just just if you could testify. Hey, man, I'm going to I'm going <clears> to <throat> testify at the end here to this message that God's graced you with. And uh, I think we all should honor you for that. And I'll talk about that. But as we are preparing the way for Messiah, but can you hear me, by the way? 
Yes. Good. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, as we prepare the way for Messiah, there's so much to say, but in regards to the preparation of the bride, I wanted to open this morning, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, with a quick st story about a man named Father Kalagovich. He was from Czechoslovakia, but in World War II, he ended up in Krakow, Poland, and he was an amazing man. He started to host a Bible study in a home, and kind of a church grew out of that, and then there, there became other meetings popping up in homes all around the rural areas of Krakow and around through the countryside, and these meetings became known as Kolakovich meetings. Uh, he went to the people at the end of World War II, and he, he told them, I have good news and I have bad news. He said, the good news is that Germany is going to lose the war. The bad news is that Russia, uh, communists, are going to come in and they're going to rule and they're going to persecute us Christians. Now, he, he had studied communism because he wanted to go to Russia as a missionary, but now he's warning the people of the persecution that was coming. And after a while, they began to sing and pray and really form a body unified and dig into the word. And, and it just spread like a wildfire. And that about that time, the bishops came to him from the, the church and said, you know, Father Kolakovich, you really need to stop fear-mongering these people and stop warning them for things that uh, are causing anxiety and may never happen. But he refused to do that. And he resisted their call to shut down. And so those meetings continued. And just like he said, uh, Germany lost the war. And then in came the Russian communism. And they began to persecute those, those, those believers. But Father Kolakovich had warned them and instructed them in practical applications, uh, for example, in ways of uh, enduring an interrogation and not giving up their fellow believers. And so during that time of persecution, they had formed a way of communicating one with another about what was happening in their areas and how to pray for one another and how to keep one another. And it was quite a story of many were martyred and lost their lives, but there were many who were saved because of this fellowship that had been foundational prior to the persecution coming. And I often think about the Acts 2 church mantle that is being passed down to us now in this day. And for sure, there's persecution that comes with that mantle. But I'm beginning to see people that are hungering and thirsting to know who their neighbors are and to know who there is in their foxhole with them as they are beginning to see the warning signs of all that we're going to face. Now, praise God for the glory of God. I want to talk about that tonight too, but I wanted to open with that little story, and then I want to give a couple of examples and tell you three things I think we should be doing. The first is, in Esther 4.14, the scripture says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so I believe that if you look at your life and all that you've been through, it seems that there's a convergence going on. And so we are going to stand up on the rock and, and see the greatest move of God we've ever seen. Jeremiah 33, we're about to see great and mighty things that we know not of. Now is not to be time to be quiet, but now is a time to stand up and do what the Lord has been telling us to do, and that's to stand strong in the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing I wanted to remind you of this evening was Esther, and how many Esthers, we all need to become like Esther, and stand in the same fortitude that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood, no matter how fiery the furnace even unto death, if, that, if that's what it's called to. And secondly, I want to talk very briefly about the scripture in Ruth 1, verses 14 through 17. Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Oprah, Orpah, rather, kissed her, forgive me, <laughs> Orpah, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. 
And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do to me and more also anything but death parts me from you. Beloved, today and this day, we are to stand with our brothers in Israel just as Ruth did with Naomi. And of course, uh, Orpah went on, as many of you know, to go the opposite direction. And she, I believe, birthed Goliath was her son. So we're on a pathway now where we must choose, especially in the church. And this Romans 9-11 study guide that God has engraced uh, Grant and Hallie with leads the way in a biblical way for us to have the understanding of the mysteries of God's word. So we must do these three things, I believe, in this day. Number one, we must pray in tongues always. Number two, we must stand with Israel. And this Romans 9-11 teaching shows us how and why we should do that. And number three, we should pray for him to show his glory, just as Moses did in Exodus 33-11 when he said, I have a dilemma, I'm in a crisis. I don't know whether your anger is going to continue to wax hot and you're going to destroy us or whether you're going to redeem us. And praise God, God said, if you want to see me, and we know that no man shall see his face and live, but in the Hebrew it says he saw he had a greater insight and a greater revelation into the heart of God. And as he got a new set of tablets and walked up to that rock and hid in the, hid in the cleft of the rock, and God passed by him, covered his face with his hands and said, I am the Lord God, your God of graciousness and longsuffering and mercy, even to the saving of thousands. And Moses saw Genesis through Revelation, and he saw the incarnate son of the living God, the lamb yet to be born and slain for the sins of the world. He saw that, and he said, oh, now I know who you are. And he came out of that cleft in Exodus 34, 5, and he bowed down on his face, and he said, oh, God, now you've shown yourself to me. I know who you are. And he went down, and he led the people out. And so I want to read this verse out of Leviticus 9, 22 through 24, which talks about the glory of God. Then Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Hallelujah. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell down on their faces. This is the only place, or at least the first place, if not the only place, that I see the glory of God revealing to all people who saw it. And when they did, they fell down on their face. Now, I believe that Isaiah says, I will arise for the sake of my own name. And I believe that God, because of these prayers, all that are going to Israel, we go to Israel Sunday morning early, but all the people around the world who are watchmen on the wall and they're praying, I believe that God himself by his sovereign hand is going to show his glory once again. And you will either succumb to it or you'll run and hide and be crushed by it. There is a day coming where God's glory is going to be shown, and it will show through his people as well. And so I'm looking forward to this, because when that happens, there will be decisions made for Christ. There will be restorations, reconciliations. There will be chains that will be broken. And the revelation of the mystery of God will come in his glory And he's going to do great and mighty things. And praise God, beloved, we are here to see it in this last hour. Now, I want to say there are three witnesses in heaven and there are three witnesses on earth. In heaven, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And here on earth, there's the Holy Spirit, the water, and the blood. 
And the water is the sun. He's not only the bread of life, but he's also the living water. And the father is the blood. Now, I want to talk quickly about this thing that I call transgenerational allegiance. You see, when I take a drink of this water, I'm not the first one to drink that. Maybe 10 million other people have drank it before I did. It's been here for a long time, and it's transgenerational, and it's been recycled many times. Now, I want you to think about this also regarding the blood. The blood that is in your body, you are not the first one to carry it. It came from your parents, and before them, it came from their parents or your grandparents. And so there is a bloodline of ancestry in your body that is an amazing thing. And the Bible, the scripture says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit and he takes away and every branch that he does bear, bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. John 15, 1 through 4. Now, the interesting thing here is it says, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's talking about the washing of the water of the word. Women who do laundry, I know that when you wash clothes and sometimes when you wash the whites, you have to put some bleach in there to clean out a stain. Well, not only by prayer and fasting, but by the cleansing blood of the Father, which was brought to us through the sacrifice of the Son, can we get rid of the iniquity? In other words, there are things like Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do, the things I do I don't want to do, and the things I want to do I can't do. So. You know, why is it through prayer and fasting I can't get rid of these iniquities? And yet it's the cleansing power, the washing of the water of the word is meaning that you're having communion with the Son. And I had a friend of mine one time who said, I didn't know how to get rid of the iniquity. And the Father told me I needed more washing. And he said that washing was allowing the word of God like a mirror to show me the dirt and then wash it. And then the iniquity was cleansed by the Father's blood given to me through the sacrifice of the Son. Wow, I thought that is an amazing thing. Not only by the washing of the water of the Word, having a communion with the Son, but then the cleansing blood of Jesus comes in to take away all iniquity. So communion with Jesus is the washing of the water of the Word, which then prepares us for the cleansing of the iniquity that David so often talked about by the blood. Now, the blood in the physical body does many things. It brings oxygen into the cells, breath, and it purifies the toxins out of the body, and it creates white and red blood cells which fight off disease and now protect the immune system as a natural healer. Like Leviticus 17.11 says, there is life in the blood. And, and so today we know if a woman gets raped and she goes before a police lineup and there's 10 men and she points that man out who did the dastardly deed, uh, they just have to do a blood test to see if he is the father. And sure enough, it points the way. And also if a young girl who through a loss of her identity and guilt and shame is found to be cutting herself by trying to make a covenant because there's no a remission of sins except through the shedding of blood. And we see these young people today cutting themselves and bleeding all of the time. You know, we saw that also with the prophets of old. And so there is, this is, this is an amazing thing to think about the power, not only of his name, but the power of the blood of Jesus, because he had the purest blood of all. He had a Jewish mother named Mary, and he had a father named the Holy Spirit. He had the only blood that was pure enough to wash away all of our sins. Praise God that God himself made a way for us. Now, in the last couple of minutes I have left, I want to testify to this Romans 9-11 project. And as I have gone through here, I have actually had a healing in my own self when it came to repentance 
I found myself repenting for holding on against my brother and my Christian brothers and my Jewish brothers. Because, you know, beloved, the word says that if we, 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 we can't love our brother, then there's no life in us. And so uh, I had to let that stuff go. And if we don't love the very thing that God loves so much that he sent his son to die for them, then who are we? And so I have grown to honor and respect those in the body that may, maybe we, we have one thing in common, the blood of Jesus, but we may not agree on all of the things, but they're still my brother and I have to forgive them and walk with them. And so God has done such a cleansing in many ways, in many areas, going through this study, and I thank God for it. Now, very quickly, in a few minutes here, three levels of the power of God, and I just want to touch on this because I shared this with Hallie the other day, and I want to share it with you tonight, and especially because of Grant. There's three levels of the power of God. Number one, there's intimacy, which requires a relationship with the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. If we don't have an intimate relationship, we can't even access the power of God. Number two, the next level in the power of God is invested in principles. It depends on the understanding of the rules of engagement and the fortitude for compliance to the system or for the keys to the mystery of the kingdom. God sets up systems and he has keys for the manifestation of his works in a kingdom mindset. This does not require a relationship with God. This is why we see so many ministries that have manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit because they've learned the rules of engagement. They understand the keys to the system of the mysteries of the kingdom and they comply with them. And when they do, God moves because his word never returns void. But yet one day the scriptures say they'll stand before an all-loving God and he's going to say, yes, you did those things in my name and they worked. But depart from me because I don't know who you are. We never had intimacy. And beloved, this is a sad day for those people. But then thirdly, the third level of the power of God is a covenant access through an alignment as God hides his possibilities through his anointing in men, in institutions, and in places or locations, as we see in Genesis 28, where we come to a location which becomes a portal to the realm of the spirit. And so purely in men, purely through the election of grace, does God anoint a man as he did Paul while he was teaching the church at Ephesus. We see this in Ephesians 3, 3 and 5. He was called into the mystery of revelation in due time or a dispensation by the Spirit. In verse 9 and 10, it says to make all men see. And as I close here, also Isaiah 9, 6, the word to Jacob was sent to lighten on Israel. Example of Samuel hearing God's voice through Eli's voice. And finally, Eli said, just tell the, the father, master, your servant here. So God uses men. So through this sacrifice, through a covenant alignment, God will lead a man through a unique path in the spirit to allow that man the capacity to be able to host the dimension of God that he wants to invest in that man. And so in apostleship, now, when that man successfully goes through that season or that dispensation, God will anoint him the engracing for that investment that he pours into that man. And the reward of that man for staying with God is that anyone who in that dispensation who accesses the dimension of God that he gave to that man will never do anything to dishonor that vessel. Beloved, I, I would submit to you tonight that on this call, there are many of you, Jonathan Frizz and especially Grant and Halle Berry, because God has engraced Grant and Halle with a 9-11 reconnecting mystery 
of the revelation of his word, and they have articulated it as the Father has given it to them during this time, this dispensation that God has embraced them to deliver this message. And so, therefore, because of the working by the Holy Spirit through this teaching, God has invested the dimension of things that he's given to grant into myself and for that, I'm ever grateful because I have been cleansed, I have been strengthened, I have been undergirded. And so, Grant and Hallie, I'm here tonight to say to you, I honor the grace that God has given you to deliver this message to the body of Christ. It has ever changed me, and I will ever be grateful to you for having submitted your vessel unto the Lord so that he may pour this out through you to the body of Christ. Thank you so much. And may all praise and glory be to God. And I thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, who works through men, institutions, and places. And as we go to the Southern Steps, as we go to the Negev, as we go to Haifa, as we go to Galilee, as we go to all the places to have all of the meetings that God has set up for us, I believe that God is embracing the body of Christ now to do great and mighty things, to host his glory. And we are about to see a marvelous thing. And the father will be happy that his father has been united. So thank you very much, Grant Barry and Jonathan for the 10 days. And for all of you prayer warriors and intercessors and NGOs and Bob Wolf and all of you that are on this call tonight, Thank you for allowing us to be a part of the body of Christ with you. And may God bless us all in these days. Amen. Amen.